if you say, we'll take the bicycle rather than the car, or we'll take the bus, it has a huge, huge impact on our climate. Welcome to the Radio Waves, a podcast series on local solutions to European and global issues. You've just heard the Vice President of the European Commission, Franz Timmermans, supporting the role of a clean transport means in the cities. Some European cities are investing heavily in sustainable mobility to reduce the climate impact of a transport. Some are still rather hesitant about it. But all of them must deal with current energy crisis and must adapt their plans to a zero emission future. Do European cities have enough funds for this big change? How the city of the future will look like? We will discuss it in today's Radio Waves. I am Zdenka Trachtová and you are listening special podcast series of the European Commission in collaboration with the European Committee of the Regions. And my guest today is Linda Gash, member of Luxembourg City Municipal Council, member of the Committee of the Regions and member of the Green Group. Hello, welcome. Hello. So Linda, what kind of transportation did you use today to get here to the square Brussels Center? To get to the square, I actually came by foot, um, but in the morning to get to the Committee of the Regions, I took the metro line. And what are the means of transportation you use most often? Most often I use the bicycle. Um, I have to say I cheat a little bit because I have an electric bicycle, so I can get up uh, steep hills as well without too much effort. Uh, and it works well because I live in a city, so I don't have to, too much time to get to the different places. I'm asking you, of course, because uh, you are a reporter of the new urban mobility framework. In Prague, where I come from, uh, was municipal election recently, and one of the main topics of this election was an approach towards cycling in the city. And the whole campaign sometimes looked like a battle between supporters of cyclists and supporters of drivers. So my question is, should all means of transport in a city be equal Or should municipalities like yours prioritize emission-free or emission-low forms of transportation? Well, I think there's a bit of a double question in that because right now all modes of transport are not equal and we see that the car was for some years and maybe decades favored a lot. It's all about car flow in a city, um, much more than about how pedestrians, for example, get around. So there is this part, and then um, should sustainable modes of transport be favored? Yes, I think so. And there is, of course, also a reason for that. The um, sustainable modes of transport don't pollute the air, so they're not bad for the health. And there is a different idea of how the city looks like if you favor sustainable modes of transport than if you favor the car. And how would it look like? I think the city of the future is a city where you can get from A to B by foot, by bicycle, by public transport. And so people will not need a car, which also means that there's a lot of space that nowadays is either used for cars that are driving or for cars that are parked, which they are most of the time, that can be used for other things where people can sit, play, uh, where we can have more nature, so the city will change its shape in that regard. That was actually one of my next questions I have prepared for you. What is the vision of yours of a city on a, of a future, let's say 20 years from now? Do you think that cities should be car-free, all cities in Europe? There is a quote I like that was mentioned in, in one of the workshops I was in previously, which is attributed to the mayor of Bogota, 
And uh, he said a developed country is not a place where the poor have cars. It's a place where the rich use public transport. And I think that very much applies to cities as well. The city of the future doesn't necessarily need to be car-free, but it should be a city where you don't need a car, where the car is not the first mode of transport that comes to your mind when you think about getting from one place to the other, but where you have so many alternatives that are so much more practical, comfortable, accessible, that the car doesn't have the same place in the city as it has today. Critics of your approach would argue that some cities are more suitable for cycling than others. For example, there is a big difference between Brussels or Amsterdam and Lisbon or Prague, which are full of hills. Of course, this is uh, something that is discussed in my city a lot as well because it's, it's very hilly. And at the same time, with the development of electric bicycles, we overcame that difficulty a little bit. It doesn't work so much as an excuse anymore. So there is, of course, the geographical, the, the idea of some cities are more hilly than others and where I think yes, the electric bicycle has helped us there. There is also the weather aspect, which is often put forward. And I have studied for my master's in Sweden, where sometimes it was really cold, there was a lot of snow, there was, the weather was really not that much appropriate for cycling, and all the students cycled to university mm. because there was the infrastructure for the students to cycle. The cycleways was regularly cleaned, and it was just the easiest mode to get there. So I think, of course, sometimes these are valid um, concerns that have to be addressed. So we need maybe different modes of transport in one or the other city. Or in Sweden, we used to put spikes on our bicycle wheels if there was too much snow so we could get through the snow. I mean, there is solutions. I don't really think it's an excuse as such. So why do you think that so many people still prefer cars over bicycles? Is it only a problem of missing infrastructure? In part, there is this saying, if you build it, they will come, about a safe bicycle infrastructure, that if it is safe to cycle, to cycle, a lot of people will use the bicycle to commute because it is easy. In part, it's also an old habit. And maybe, but I'm not sure that applies for everyone, but maybe also a sort of a generational divide because at a certain time, people were... People grew up with the idea that the car is freedom, whereas I would say for my generation, our generation, the, the car is not so much freedom that it is also a burden. You have insurance to pay, you have parking place to find, you have a lot of things that come with it, so it doesn't exactly symbolize the same thing anymore as well. So what you are saying is that it is to a big extent also the issue of education. If you drive bike to school since childhood, uh, you will probably do it in adulthood. But in the same time, many parents in cities like Brussels are probably worrying about security, so they don't let their children drive bikes at the same roads as cars. Absolutely, and uh, Brussels is a really good example because the uh, Minister for Mobility, Elke van den Brandt, is also addressing this. And I recently read an interview where she said if one part of the way where her son has to go to hockey practice is not safe, then it's not safe for him to cycle there as the whole way. So, of course, what she is also trying to do is to create safe uh, cycling infrastructure in Brussels, 
which is a big project and not easy, but the, you're absolutely right that it's not only education, it's very much the safe infrastructure that will make people cycle more. And could you maybe explain more what is a safe cycling infrastructure? Is it safe when cyclists and cars are sharing the same space, the same road? No. I mean, the concept of the safe cycling infrastructure is that ideally you would have um, a separated bicycle lane, which is elevated or somehow physically there is a physical border between the cycle lane and the road. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be a small elevation, but somehow where it shows that this is these are different roads for different modes of transport. This is the ideal You can also imagine other concepts. You have, for example, cycle roads. In I think in Germany they're very prominent where it's the bicycle that has the priority. So it's a shared road between cars, bicycles, pedestrians, but the bicycle, um, I mean the pedestrian has the sidewalk, but the bicycle has the priority over the car and the car is not allowed to overtake the cyclist. There is also a concept of shared space where the car really has to drive at um, very reduced speeds and is the last one who has a priority in the room. So there is different ideas, but um, mainly for uh, roads, it would be the protected infrastructure, which would be separated from the cars. A couple of times you mentioned electric bicycles, but what is your opinion about electric cars? Do you think that it is a mean of transportation of our future? Well, the electric cars are more efficient in terms of how much energy how much of the energy you use is actually wasted and not wasted how much of the energy you use goes into driving and moves you so they're in that sense better than fossil fuel cars than diesel and benzene so they're part of the solution to decarbonize our societies although it is very clear that if we replace simply all the conventional cars that we have nowadays with electric cars this is not going to solve the problem the idea would be We have to have less cars in the streets. To do that, we have to develop the alternatives, and those cars that will still be on the streets should in the future be electric. Les ondes radio. Ondes radio. Radio waves. Ondes radio. You are listening to Radio Waves, a podcast series on local solutions to European and global issues. Do European cities currently have sufficient financial resources to transition to sustainable mobility and maybe how can cohesion funds help? Sufficient funding is always a big question. So, well, there are funding that can be used and it's 37% of cohesion funds are dedicated to climate action, so potentially they can be used to decarbonize cities and to I mean to make the cities transition to sustainable modes of transport. The issue is that, on the one hand, there is not sufficient funding. Cities would be very happy to have more funding available. But this is not the only problem. The problem is also that the funding that is available, sometimes the overview is missing. There is different funds that can be accessed through different programs. And for cities, especially for smaller cities that do not necessarily have people who are working full-time on EU funds, it is really difficult to see through all of this. And another thing that is very important when it comes to funding is that funding is often dependent on some sort of arbitrary factors that depend on cooperation between national and subnational governments. And in countries where we see that cities and their national governments 
have a different political leadership, this might impact on the potential of a certain city to receive funding, although they would need it. Do you see differences in this aspect between different cities in European Union? And could you say maybe some example of a city that use very effectively European funds for green transition? And on the other hand, some bad example on the other side. I was um, on a panel with the deputy mayor of Budapest, Katatuto, who, who told us all the different actions that their city has taken uh, to make the green transition happen, which is not only in terms of mobility, but also in terms of recycling, uh, waste reduction. And really, they have a big program of achievements um, where EU funds have helped, where cohesion funds have helped. Um, at the same time, and I wouldn't be able to put really the name on a city, but I've um, heard today in the people who were asking questions that um, some Italian cities have really trouble just to uh, access the funds in the right way. So they would like to receive some funds, but it's the whole part of really accessing it and having the capacity and the training that is needed to make this happen, which is problematic. In the urban mobility framework, you are also mentioning gender aspects of mobility in the cities. Are there really differences between genders in using all kinds of transportation, and why should we deal with it? Well, there are differences. The transport systems are used differently by women and in different ways. So we see that uh, women use more public transport than men on average. Um, and we also see that the behavior of women is different. As in, for example, if you would have to wait for half an hour for a connection and it's the night, you don't take the bus because you don't want, as a woman, be in the night for half an hour waiting for your bus, whereas for a man, the discomfort he feels would maybe not be uh, to the same extent. Why we should deal with this is um, what we've noticed is that often mobility planning is done by men, and so women are forgotten in the planning and their specific needs are forgotten. So what we ask for in the opinion, and this doesn't only concern women, this actually concerns different user groups, is that when public transport is planned, that different user groups should test it to see does it work with their needs and with their realities, so that actually public transport is really public and works for everyone. So that could be the solution. Women and men would test the future transportation. Exactly. There would be test groups as well. There would be test groups of women. There would also be test groups, for example, of elderly people who are a bit slower when they're walking from a stop to the other. There would also be test groups of people with disabilities to really make the public transport yes, accessible for everyone. Earlier this year, you mentioned that within 10 or 20 years, your city, Luxembourg, should become climate neutral. You also said that the city of Luxembourg should be energy independent. So that's a big goal. How do you want to do that? Energy independence, the, the idea was to at least get higher autonomy, what I would say. Um, let's not make it an overstatement. How do we want to do that? What we are asking for is that the city of Luxembourg makes it possible to install solar panels on every roof where it's possible both on the buildings that belong to the city, 
where the city of Luxembourg has the power to do this, but also to facilitate it for citizens. And then next to this, there is the question of energy efficiency. It is often said that the best uh, way to save energy is not to waste it. So we would need to make our buildings in the highest possible energy class and thus no energy is wasted, which the decrease in the energy that is spent and the increase in energy that the city produces itself would then help us to get a certain degree of autonomy. By the way, what is the current situation in the whole country, Luxembourg? How does the state of Luxembourg deal with current energy crisis? It's a crisis for everyone. I think the, the whole EU was hit hard and all the different member countries as well. We have had agreements um, to counter the crisis. Maybe I should take a step back. In, in Luxembourg, we have uh, something that is called the index, which I'm not sure all your listeners are familiar with, but which basically means that the salaries of the people increase when the costs of spending increases. So it's an automatic mechanism uh, that makes the, the salaries increase with inflation. This added to the crisis, of course, because with the rising prices, the, we then had a social crisis because prices went up. We have the energy crisis for the spending. And so there needed to be a discussion between um, the government, companies, workers to solve this problem. Now, the main points of the solution that was put forward is that we capped the gas prices at uh, plus 15%. The government froze the electricity prices, and then there's a whole package of measures to support lower-income families or lower, uh, people with a lower income to help them to, to pay their energy bills. You are the member of Green Party, so I wonder... Do you think that in the current situation, the future of our energy is, besides solar, wind, energy, also nuclear power plants? No. <laughs> the, I know that, uh, depending on the member state, there is a big discussion about is nuclear a solution or is nuclear a potential solution? Because, of course, with nuclear energy, you can easily produce a lot of energy that feeds into a lot of households. One of the arguments that I see that really speaks very clearly against it is that you need uranium, which at the moment comes to a big percentage from Russia. But not only Russia. Not only Russia, but what I want to say is that if we want to be energy independent, the EU in itself doesn't have too much uranium. So it's, yeah, I think it's a false solution in that sense. So you would support nuclear energy if there was a source of uranium from some other place than Russia? I mean, no, that was for me just the strongest argument in the current crisis. But I, I mean, I think it's also a bit of a fundamental question. Um, of course, there is all the, the discussion around the nuclear waste. But besides that, I really see the future not as a time where we have one big source of energy that is centralized, but rather that we have a lot of different decentralized places where energy is produced, where we have 
citizens' cooperatives, where we have all this sort of involvement and not this top-down approach of one nuclear power plant uh, that gives into the system. You know, supporters of nuclear power would tell you that there are small modular reactors in a construction or in a development in the United States, for example. So maybe that is the future? I heard about that, but I have to say, for me, this kind of freaks me out to think about that someone might have a small nuclear power plant in his garden. <laughs> so I, yes. I, I don't think that that would be the case. No, yeah, I'm saying it a bit jokingly, but I, for me, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different arguments, but the idea freaks me out. And it's also maybe because we live in Luxembourg, we have a nuclear power plant in Cattenau in France, um, close to our border, which if there was anything that was going to happen, our country would cease to exist. We're a small country, so the whole country would blow up if this power plant would blow up. Um, and there has recently been a movie that came out, which is called uh, The Year Zero, where they imagine this fictionary moment where the nuclear power plant would blow up and where our country would cease to exist. Um, I think this also makes it very present for us. There is every now and then the distribution of these yod pills that people get in case there was an issue with this nuclear power plant because it's a bit old and uh, nuclear power plants are planned for 30 years, um, so and it's, it's a bit older than that, so it shows some sign of um, not always working perfectly. And of course, it's, uh, as, as our country would be very much at risk, this is for us mm. something that is quite scary. So let's hope that French engineers will keep your country safe. The guest of Radio Waves was Linda Gash, member of Luxembourg City Municipal Council, member of the Committee of the Regions from the Green Group. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. That's all from today's episode of Radio Waves. We discussed the present and the future of the transport in European cities with Linda Gash. We talked about the eternal dispute between cyclists and drivers in the cities. We discussed the financing of a green transport and the gender aspects of a public transport. Linda Gash shared her experiences from Luxembourg and the plan for the city's energy self-sufficiency. And the talk also came to nuclear energy. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. It will be online next Wednesday.